Today we shift gears and begin to look at the church in all its glory. I'm not talking about the buildings we gather in, but the body of Christ gathered in His name. Welcome to Run With Horses. My name is Norman, and my goal is to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus. There are a lot of moving parts to the journey, but our foundation is built on Jesus, the solid rock. Keep your eyes on the prize and keep making steps forward in your spiritual journey. Now, last week, I finished up a series of shows that focused on some practical tips and pointers for living an intentional life. And it may have been a little bit uh, much for some of you. Really, it's looking at strategic planning applied to life, being intentional about the choices we make, the life we live, considering our big purpose, but also looking at the roadblocks that could come up, the resources that God has given us, as well as some final thoughts on making just clear goals to strive for in our spiritual life. So in and through all of that, we kept coming back to this big idea of God's purpose for you. And we mentioned over and over again, time in God's Word, prayer, and time with the church family, this community of believers that God has given us. Starting today, I want to begin to look at God's purpose for you as it relates to the church. Now, as we look at that, one of the things that we have to wrestle with is, what is the church? And it would seem like it would be a really simple, easy thing to answer, but it turns out that it's not. Now, we'll get there in a minute, but a lot of people would just assume that the church is plural for Christians, (laughs) where two or three are gathered together. I'm there in your name. I think Jesus said that. It's true. And some people would say that that is the church. Anywhere there's two or three people, the church is there. I'm not sure I totally would agree with that. It's true that from one aspect that the church is there, as in there are people who are part of the church who have gathered. But the church, when you get away from the idea of the, the universal church, everyone that's been saved, the local expression of the church is gathering for a purpose. And every time two believers get together, they don't fulfill all the requirements to be a church I don't believe. So what are those? Well, today, we want to kind of look at that question. And admittedly, I'm wrestling with this out loud. So I'm publicly working through (laughs) this idea today. And the idea is minimal or essential ecclesiology. So let's look at what those words mean, and that'll help us be in the right ballpark. Minimal according to Webster's Dictionary, means relating to or being a minimum. Okay? It gives three expansions on that definition. One, minimum being the least possible. As an example, in war, you'd like a victory won with minimal loss of life. So this is as little as possible, the least common denominator. Thinking about the church, how would that apply? Well, maybe it's the least possible, what, structure? Uh, The least possible number of people? (laughs) There's, There's lots of ways that you might apply this, but we're looking at minimal ecclesiology. So minimal, and we'll get to the definition of ecclesiology in a second, but it's talking about our doctrine. So what is the minimal doctrine 
that uh, we need or what are the minimal practices that we need? What is this minimal? They give another one that I think is maybe helpful. Minimal, meaning barely adequate. An example of that in real life might be a minimum or a minimal standard of living. Barely adequate. Well, it sustains life, but just barely. <laughs> well, that might be a legitimate view of what we're talking about. Minimal ecclesiology. The barely adequate structures, doctrine, things necessary to call something a church. What is barely adequate? Because think about that. Barely adequate does mean adequate. It means it just, <laughs> it barely got there, but it is adequate. So what is barely adequate when it comes to the church? And before I go any further, I should step back and say, I'm not saying this is the goal for every church to be shooting for the barely adequate version. That's not my intention. And I'll get to why I think this is an important question in just a second. But hold with me. I'm not saying that this is where we want to end up. But pause for thought. Maybe it's where we need to think about starting. So barely adequate. Minimum. What's the minimum that a church needs to be a church? And then there's one more phrase they use to help us understand this idea of minimal. Very small or slight. So I have a, a minimal interest in art. Okay, small or slight. So minimal ecclesiology could be small. What's the small form? And a lot of times we think about small, we mean more flexible, uh, easier to move quickly. There's a lot of things that go along with small. So there could be some value in all three of these ideas as they relate to minimal ecclesiology. So maybe we could say the least viable form or the least possible to call something a church. What can you remove from your existing church and it still be a church? That would be an interesting exercise. And maybe before I'm done, we'll do that sometime. Because we have a lot of things that we know are not essential. They're not, they're not part of our minimal view of the church. I don't think we need pews. Uh, you might say that you need chairs, but... I don't know, I spent 20 years in Japan, and people do pretty good at sitting on the floor, so I'm not even sure you can say you need chairs. <laughs> so when you really get down to the barely adequate, what is that? Well, there's a lot of things that we have, a lot of things that we do, that we probably could take away, and we would still say, yeah, that was a perfectly good church service. For a lot of people, uh, the music is a big deal. But if you took away the worship band, is it still a church? Well, yeah, obviously, that's not, not even close to barely adequate, right? That's, that's much further along. But if you took away all instruments, some people would start to say, well, you're, you know, you're, you're messing with something important there. But realistically, if you talk about the barely adequate or the least possible, the smallest form, you wouldn't have to have any instruments. You could sing songs and do everything that you normally do without instruments. So, okay, instruments are something you could take away. So we're not going through all the things you could take away right now, but it is an interesting exercise to think about how many things we have that if you remove them, we still have something we can comfortably call the church. And I think when we get down to the idea of barely adequate, 
we're getting down to something that we uncomfortably still call the church, but it's still the church. Okay, next word we want to define really quickly here is essential. So there were two ideas that, again, my good buddy Merriam-Wester wanted to throw at us. Something basic, meh, maybe that's helpful. But the second one is a little more uh, along the lines of what we're looking at. Essential defined as something necessary, indispensable, or unavoidable. Okay, now this does get us in the ballpark because where minimal says it's barely adequate or it's the least possible, essential is coming from the other direction saying this is what you absolutely have to have. So we have to have this to call it a church. What are those things? So this is two sides of the same coin. You know, how do we find that barely adequate minimal? What can we remove? And then what is absolutely necessary that we have to have? So we can start from either way, from, from the full form of the church that we're used to and remove things, or we can start at the bottom and say, if you have nothing, what's necessary before you call it a church? Okay, we've looked at minimal and essential. So now let's look at the word ecclesiology. Simply, it's doctrine relating to the church. So our minimal ecclesiology helps us to think about what the church is. What does the Bible say about the church? So we're looking at what are those essential things. Summarizing all this, my goal is to consider the smallest, most adoptable, adaptable, most flexible form of church, our way of doing church, our church. <laughs> Why? Well, okay, that's a really good question. And the answer, and there are, I think, many reasons for that, but one reason is because the church, at its most basic, and we had that word there, basic and essential, and it's in its essential form, the church is in its best form to be multiplied, particularly in new environments. Okay, remember, I'm coming at this from someone who's been a missionary in a country where there's not a, a large church, there's not a super strong church. Well, if we want to see a church in a country like Japan, where there are not a lot of believers today, we need a lot more churches. Well, how do we do that? How do we see churches um, grow, be planted and grow rapidly? We need a lot of churches today. Well, if we look at the existing full form of the church with all of the extras and things we've added through tradition and years and maturity, that's a hard form to, to multiply very rapidly. It takes a lot of money. <laughs> right off the bat, if you take what most people are going to view as the church, you're going to have a building and you're going to have staff and you're going to have all of these things. You're going to have chairs. You're going to have pews. You're going to have hymnals. You're going to have all of this stuff that has taken a lot of time and effort and money to build. Classrooms, maybe a bus ministry. I mean, depending on what church you're part talking about, there's a lot of stuff there. Well, the question is, how much of that can we reproduce quickly in another place, maybe in another culture? 
So if, if church planting is really important, and I would argue that it is, and we're going to do it, and I would argue that we should, then we have to identify the seed. We're talking about planting, and I come from a horticulture background, so we think about growth, spiritual, physical uh, plants. You start with this seed, which, what is the seed? Well, the seed is is not the finished product, right? It's not even close. Uh, take an acorn and look at that acorn and then look at the oak tree. They're really different. <laughs> they are drastically different. And yet, the acorn contains all of the DNA necessary to eventually form that tree, to eventually form a forest of those trees in one acorn. And I think that's the idea that we, we're missing sometimes. So I, for a long time, kind of resist using the words church planting. But I still, I think God is the one that grows his church. And ultimately, he will ask us to be disciple makers. I think that's, to me, that's just clearly the way that it is. But it's helpful for us to use the church, word church planting because we're thinking about this new body of believers, and what is our part in helping that get started? What is the seed? What is the, that smallest unit that contains the DNA of the future life? And to be honest, if you really want to get down to the, that smallest, the seed, it's really one believer. I mean, one believer is capable, if they have God's Word, they have a Bible, they have the Holy Spirit, they're genuinely saved. They have the ability, if they're obedient to what God says, to make disciples and see a church start, see a church uh, planted and grow that can become not just one large church, but a network of churches, uh, a multiplying um, movement of churches. That's, that's a one believer. That, that really is the seed of the church. Uh, one believer who really is committed to living out God's Word in the context where they find themselves. Now, that's smaller than what we're talking about today because what I'm more thinking about and interested in today is when, when one church, a group of people, gather together and they say, you know, we really understand that for God to, to really make a difference where we're planted here in this, this city, in this geographic area, we need more churches. And we want to be intentional about using our gifts and allowing God to use us to plant more churches, to see more people come to Christ and to gather as local bodies who are living out the life of the church. In that context, the one believer still is really all that it takes. But for that group, when is it that they would say that new church now exists? What is it that they, they want to see started where they say, okay, that is one group that is now going forward as a church, and now let's work on the next one. So what is that minimal? What is that essential part that makes up the church? And that's really the question. And the the, the uh the reason I'm asking it is because we do need new churches uh, in every place <laughs> where there are people. 
we tend to, as churches, we reach people like us, and it's easiest to reach people like us. We have trouble crossing any kind of uh, barrier or boundary. So the idea of subcultures, I, I think, is an important one as we think about the church and its purpose and who we are. You know, in any given church, it's, it is ideal. It is wonderful if you can have all kind of people coming together to worship. And the thing is, that is possible as believers, but often to reach out into those new demographics, uh, the, an old church that is not yet integrated like that is going to really struggle to do that. A new church that is part of that subculture, that is uh, firmly anchored in that subculture, is in the best place. Okay, well, that needs to be, probably should be, a much smaller form of the church. It's not the old legacy church or traditional church that already has uh, traditions and has all of the trappings of years and years of existing and, and maturity as a church. It's a, a newer something. The way that it does ministry to reach new people is probably going to be a little different, and that's, that's a good thing. Now, the DNA has to be the same. Go back to that acorn. An acorn is never <laughs> going to produce a peach tree. Not going to happen. That is not the way genetics works. Same thing. A church, for it to produce a church, it, it has to actually have something. It has to have that DNA that is focused on Jesus, that is uh, focused on God's Word. It, it has to have the DNA of the church. Well, that's kind of my question today. What is that DNA? And I'm not sure that we're going to get to the answer, but I have uh, several different articles and different groups who have asked this question and come up with various answers, and they all kind of play in the same ballpark. So I think it's worth looking at a few different places and seeing what people have to say about it. Now, I'm going to start with an article that is uh, looking at this idea of minimal ecclesiology and not necessarily liking uh, the way that it's used sometimes. So I, I put the link in the show notes. It's on the, the gospelcoalition.org, and I believe it's a blog post done by Kevin DeYoung, and it's called the, the Church of Shrinking Definition. And he says, kind of what I mentioned earlier, that the church, you can use that, and people often do, for simply referring to a group of, of people who gather together who are Christians, wherever two or more gather together to discuss, discuss about and live life as followers of Jesus, that's church. But he says, the problem with this minimalist ecclesiology is that it confuses definition and function. I think that's an important point there. It confuses definition and function. So what is the church and what is the purpose of the church? So he says, I have no problem with defining the church as elect people of God or as the gathered Christian community as all those who have put their faith in Jesus. These are pretty standard definitions. But to say the church is the people of God is not the same as saying that wherever the people of God are, there you have a church. That's a good, a good point, and that's kind of what I referred to earlier. It is true that wherever believers gather, God is there with us. But that does not mean that every time I get together with a believer who lives in another state, that we are the church for an afternoon as we have 
lunch in the same restaurant, it is a little bit different. So he goes on and says, a church, quote unquote, suggests a local concrete expression of the universal organic fellowship. The church manifests itself in churches. This is physical, local expressions. And churches do certain things and are marked by certain characteristics. Good point. So as a definition, the church may be the people of God, but for God's people gathered to be a church, they must function in a certain way. I like that. I mean, that's a, to me, uh, that's a good point. It is true that the church is the people of God. But it's also true that local churches come together for a reason and, and they have a function. So groups of people who gather who don't feel that function are not acting as a local church. And maybe it's good if we were clearer about using the idea of local church and then the church universal. But a group of people that gather with no intention of carrying out these functions of the church, they're not really acting as a church. So I, I think he has uh, good points there. When we think about minimal ecclesiology, there's a certain function that the church has and a group of people who are not carrying out that function, I don't think we can legitimately call them a church. That may be a, a gathering of believers. Uh, and in some ways, I understand why you'd say, well, it's a gathering of the church, <laughs> but, but it's not the same as a local church who gathers to carry out these functions. The next kind of leap that I want to make, going from from here, understanding that there's a difference between just defining the universal church and the function of the local church. Several years ago in Japan, you know, often in Japan, we're, we're asking some of these questions. And it's just a different environment than in the United States. We don't have a lot of churches. We don't have a lot of big churches. We have a lot of small churches. We have, well, not even a lot of small churches. We have a few small churches. How do we do ministry in this context where most people around us are not Christians? Not only they're not Christians, they're not interested. I came across a group called um, the Tampa Underground, and they used the term microchurches. And I had never heard that before, but I looked into some of their things, and I is interesting because they're asking the same question. So I have a link in the show notes. It's on the Tampa Underground website, and it is their basic definition of a microchurch. And they say, we affirm microchurch as the most basic expression of the church. So again, that idea of basic or essential. Our ecclesiology is simple. When believers work together, in sincere worship and genuine community to accomplish part of the mission of God, they are the church. Worship, community, and mission are our ecclesial minimum. Now, that's an interesting um, kind of definition here of, of microchurch. Again, they're not using the word church here, but microchurch. But they're saying this is the essential 
um, minimum of the church. And they do address something that we saw earlier when we said the church has to function in a certain way. It has a purpose. And I think that's maybe what he's talking about when we say a function. The, the church exists for a reason. And that is how Brian Sanders and the Tampa Underground came to this definition. The church exists for a reason. We have to be intentionally organizing ourselves around carrying out the purpose of the church. And they narrowed down um, their understanding of our purpose as the church into these three words. Now, you can go into each one of those and amplify it. You know, it's it has been distilled down to its essential, but what does it mean to worship? What does that look like? There's ways that then you you extrapolate from that, then how do we do things? But they said everything, the essential elements of the church are contained in these three ideas, worship, community, and mission. And certainly, whether you agree that that's everything or not, I don't think any of us would disagree that those three are incredibly important for the church. To glorify God, uh, to worship Him, is certainly at the heart of the church and should be at the heart of every believer. Uh, We consider our whole lives worship. Uh, We gather to praise and, and to worship God together. And we gather in community. The community worships God together. The whole idea of fellowship is just huge. And carried in this idea of community is something that I say often. We have the necessity of living out the one another's. How do we do that? Where do we do that? What do the one another's look like in our community? We gather in community to live out the one another's, but not just that. We also gather in community to live out the mission of Jesus. It is part of our our goal in life, our purpose as the church and as individuals to be disciple makers, to carry for, forward this message of reconciliation to the world, to see God and man reconciled. So these three ideas, no matter how you look at it, I think we can all agree that they're, they're critical for uh, the life of the church, for the church to be what it's supposed to be. Is that all there is? <laughs> I guess that, that really is the question. Some people would take this definition, say in any group of like-minded people, they are meeting together in sincere worship and, and they really have developed a genuine community that if they're on the mission of Jesus and they're carrying out the work of the gospel in their community, they are the church. So they would call these missional groups and say that is the essential unit of the church. They often refer back to the church in Acts as this is the irreducible functions of the church, worship, community, mission. Maybe there's something there. We'll be right back and going to continue this discussion. See you in a second. All right, we're going to continue looking at our minimal or essential definition of the church. There's one more site I looked at that is a, a network of micro churches. In, I can't remember if it's Australia or New South Wales, Australia maybe. They basically use the same, well, they do use the same definition as the Tampa Underground. 
They would say their definition of church, our ecclesiology is simple. When a group of like-minded people band together in sincere worship, genuine community to accomplish a part of the mission of Jesus, they are the church. We believe that small missional groups are the most essential unit of the church and that church organizations exist to serve the smaller micro-expression and not the other way around. The early church embodied three essential irreducible functions of worship, community, and mission, giving great freedom for people and groups to express them in their own context. Our aim is to equip and send groups like this into the world, impacting every sphere of influence, confronting every form of evil and injustice, reaching every kind of person in a way that unlocks the genius of the body of Christ to effectively reach the world with the good news. Now, when I read that, there are a lot of things in there that I do like. It is simple. <laughs> That's part of their stated uh, intention is to be simple. And I, I think that there's a lot of value in simplicity, partly because if we understand that the church should be a, a reproducing, multiplying body, if what we're trying to reproduce is too complex, then we make it difficult to reproduce. And I think that's part of the reason we've gotten to the place we are in the Western world where the church is largely led by and churches are started by paid professionals most of the time. We have made things complex enough and have put enough import on the, the form that we use, and we've added so much to our our acceptable minimal that just everybody can't do it. I and mean, they look at what we do in the church and they go, yeah, I just couldn't do that. And some of that is things like cost. Uh, one of the values of understanding some essential components, uh, minimal components of the church a lot of times we, we're trying to reproduce something that is like a maximal form of the church uh, when he has lots of money and resources and you're in a safe space, <laughs> so to speak. Um, the church can do certain things. But one of my reasons for wanting to go back and look at this is because the church and whatever form and function we use, if we want to get down and look at the the minimal, it has to work in every context, which means it has to work in the persecuted church. So if it doesn't work in China, if it doesn't work uh, in the Middle East, then it's not the essential. It's not the minimal. Um, a lot of things that we do in the Western world where it is safe, you can have a church building on the corner and put so-and-so church and our times on the board. It's safe to do that. In the persecuted world, it's not safe to do that, which means that's not a requirement to be the church. So what is? And I like a lot of things in this definition here. Small missional groups. The idea of missional groups is something that we in the Western church, we don't use that term very often. I don't think we understand ourselves that way. I'm more likely to hear people talk about going to church because 
They need help. Uh, they need to be fed. Uh, they need fellowship. And it's much more about their felt needs than it is about these primary purposes, primary functions of the church. So yes, they need fellowship. That may be the only one of these three that they really focus on. Uh, They need to be fed. They need to be encouraged. They're struggling. It it is primarily about their felt needs and where they see themselves. It is less about the mission. From that standpoint, I do like this kind of definition quite a bit because it does focus on these functions of the church. Worship, community, and mission. And they are very much, I think, tied together, particularly as he goes on and gives this definition uh, some legs. You know, the goal is to equip and send groups, people like this, into the world. Now, that's, that sounds a lot like Ephesians chapter 4 to me, where our goal is to equip believers for the work of the ministry. And I, I don't think that's primarily meant to be what happens on Sunday, now, too often, that's kind of how we, we view it. We want to equip people to be better Sunday school teachers. We want to equip them to be deacons. We want to equip them to serve the church. But I don't really think that's the main purpose. And a lot of those roles that we have in our church in the West are not there in a small church in a persecuted context which means they're not essential. Are they helpful? They certainly can be. I'm not saying that they're wrong. But when we ask the question, what is that minimum? What is that essential thing that we call the church? We can't include those. This group says their aim is to equip and send groups into the world. And I really like the way they puts that. You want to impact every sphere of influence. Um, We really want to see believers who are going out into the world and making a difference. It does seem to be that many churches in the world, many churches in the West particularly, have lost a lot of their influence. You know, there was a time, if you look at church history, when the church in the West had a lot of influence. Christians were respected. The pastor was respected in the community. He had a a place where, as he taught what God had to say, people wanted to know and wanted to hear. Uh, There was a certain amount of respect given the church. It's really not that way in most places anymore. If anything, they looked down on. What does it mean to, to impact people, to have a sphere of influence as the church today? And I think going back to the idea of the minimal, the individual believer carries influence into his relationship. So we very much attach this idea of the essential function of the church with uh, disciple making. So that's one thing that in some of these definitions so far that I would want to emphasize more. We have worship, we have community, we have mission, and we probably say that Discipleship, disciple-making is under those somewhere. But I think it's important enough to put uh, higher in the list, <laughs> more obvious, more overt. It's part of our strategy for sure. But it's also part of the, 
uh, the goal, the purpose. You know, we're given the Great Commission to make disciples. That is one way of looking at the mission. It's also the strategy. This is how we carry out the mission. So I, I think it's worth putting that maybe uh, overtly in our understanding of the function, a basic function, an essential function of the church. We have to be disciple makers. But certainly what this one talks about is impacting people, um, confronting evil, reaching every kind of person. Uh, that's, that's important. And we do that as the church in all of its glory. You know, the, the church is an amazing body because it is made up of all kinds of people people with different backgrounds, people with different interests, different gifts, and we need all of them. And it does seem like it is easy for any given church to narrow down and primarily use a lot of certain kinds of gifts and others to don't really have the place for them. Uh, they don't celebrate other gifts being used. And I'm not talking about necessarily even uh, gifts of the Spirit <laughs> and things like that. But just there are, are people who have gifts, whether it's music or graphic design or gifts with uh, building or the ability to do uh, mechanic work and all these things that we don't recognize that that's part of the resources that the church has been given. How do we use those? How do we encourage people to use their abilities in this great work of reconciliation, of reaching our community. And I think the this whole idea of the microchurch, it's really interesting. If you're at all curious, the, the Tampa Underground has a, a video and they have a lot of information. It's, it's interesting to look at how they do that. Uh, some of their groups, I would be less likely to say that all of their groups are really churches, but they certainly are trying to do different things uh, try different ideas to take the gospel into places where it is not. And, and I think we have to respect that, and we should be desiring that. Um, creativity is certainly a big part of the the microchurch culture. All right, moving on a little bit. Microchurches are interesting. I, I think they're worth considering how we might use that idea, uh, how does that relate to this idea of minimal? Probably come back some to that. The uh, next resource I looked at from a website called saturatetheworld.com. They have an article called Marks of Essential Ecclesiology. I thought this one was interesting. It definitely is a, a lot more detailed than worship, <laughs> community, and mission. They give a lot of other thoughts about what makes up the church. They don't necessarily are not trying to break it down into that tiny definition either. So I don't have a, a four-word or five-word summary here, but they bring in some important ideas that I think are worth thinking about. So they say a church consists of multiple people, generally from multiple families. Okay, that's we can accept that. <laughs> Said so while Christ dwells in every believer through His Spirit, the Bible calls the local church a priesthood a body whose parts are needed for the good of the whole, God's family, and a spiritual household. So uh, the, as Baptists, we have the idea of the priesthood of the believer, and I think that's um, probably what they're talking about here, although it's interesting because it says the Bible calls the local church a priesthood. Um, and I suppose that that's 
that fits in. All right. So the church is comprised of believers who gather regularly for discipleship. Finally, we have someone mentioned discipleship or disciple making um, earlier in the discussion. So that church's goal must be discipleship. And they define that and pretty good definition. Seeing people come to know Jesus and be increasingly formed into his likeness and love together. Now, what that is missing is some of the carrying out the actions. Now, being formed into his likeness, you can assume that that includes doing the things that Jesus did. But, you know, to, to copy him, to live as he did. And I think that's um, important in this idea of discipleship. So they do say discipleship requires believers to communicate with each other and be in relationship consistently somehow. <laughs> so that's... <laughs> a little vague there, but discipleship definitely, it's relational. You know, they're speaking to that issue. You know, if you listen to me at all, you know that I say discipleship, it should be simple. Uh, disciple making is simple. It should be intentional, and it is very, very relational. And it should be simple because we want it to be reproducible. So those four words really are, are key. Simple, intentional, relational, and reproducible. So they have some of these ideas in here. Discipleship, definitely, uh, they see as important key for the church. They're going to say the church declares the gospel and is shaped by the Spirit and the Scriptures. So, gospel-centered, the good news, and they clarify that, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, His kingdom, and His return, is the church's central message and must be proclaimed in both gatherings and in everyday life. And that's, that is a good point. It is not just when the church is gathered, but when the church is scattered in that form as well, the good news is still the message. This one talks about the that key idea that we, we have to keep uh, the gospel and God's word center. Their next point is a church worships God in various ways. Uh, they explain that by saying a church helps people understand and participate in worship. Yeah, I sort of not sure I always agree with the way a lot of people talk about worship. They say the Bible describes song and prayer as worship, as well as using our spiritual gifts, serving others, sharing the gospel, giving, celebrating, working hard, resting, and obeying God. Almost everything in life can be worship if in spirit and truth. Since the earliest forms of worship involved sacrifice and selfless giving, modern forms should follow suit. So there is some truth to this that all of life certainly is meant to be uh, worship, as in it, it is a sacrifice. I, my issue with the way that a lot of groups talk about worship is that singing and uh, prayer and some of these use of spiritual gifts, they, they talk about that as worship, but, you know, I've gone through, when you go through the Old, Old Testament and look at how worship was, um, was carried out, the humility that was there is something that I'm, I'm not sure that we always see in the world today. How do we see humility in what we would call a worship service, which I, I, usually say that what we call a worship service today would be better off called a praise service or a celebration service. Um, we definitely are doing those things. Worship is less obvious. I mean, it could be there, and the individual certainly might be 
worshiping. But, you know, worship is very much attached to humility in the Old Testament. And often they would talk about worship and the, the worshiper would prostrate themselves on the ground, just absolute in absolute subjection to God. And that's something we don't see, that we are recognizing God is absolutely in control. It's the idea that Jesus is Lord in every avenue. Jesus is Lord in every area of my life. So we come together to feel good about ourselves and to sing and to to praise God. And then we leave having felt better and we go back into life kind of without God for the next week. Instead of recognizing that every second, every breath is God's. And they're, they're all His. And I subject myself to His uh, leadership. I submit myself to His guidance and to be obedient to what He has to say. That, that's worship. That, that's a life of worship. A life where we think about God when it's time. Okay, now it's time to worship. <laughs> and we limit it to, you know, a few songs and this certain service. You know, I, I'm not comfortable calling that worship. I think it's a far cry from worship as we see it in the Bible. But what they said, I don't have a problem with it. A church worships God in various ways. Well, that that's true. We should. But I do wonder if we do. And I'm getting sidetracked here. <laughs> but think about our minimal ecclesiology. A worship certainly should be part of it. And maybe we could do it better if we had a clearer idea of what that is. They're going to say a church serves each other and its mission fields. So the one another's, you know, I go on and on about that. Um, we all have gifts. Uh, we all have abilities to serve other people. And that's, that has to be part of what we do as the church. That's part of the reason why we're getting together to have that time to teach one another, to bear one another's burdens, to um, encourage one another, to do all of those things. Their definition does say that we are stewards of God's resources for God's purposes. That is a really good way to think about that. As a church, we are stewards of God's resources. And that is primarily in the form of us. Now, we do have financial resources. Uh, some churches have physical resources as well. But we as the participants, we as the church, are the primary resources that we are to steward it's one reason why the disciple-making ministry is so important. We are being good stewards of our our resources, of our gifting, when we invest in other people and we do our part to help them to grow and become more like Christ. That's just a, that's a really good idea that maybe we don't think about often enough. How do you steward yourself as one of the resources that God has given your church. How is that resource being used? So you have 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You have a certain level of energy, health, a certain level of financial freedom. How do you use all that God's given you? You're a steward of that. And that's certainly um, part of our church's worship and part of our church's uh, purpose is to to use these resources well. So, uh, disciple making comes into play there. The purpose of the church, and then how we how we do things. You know that should affect it. If we understand that we are the resources, then 
how are we as God's resources living? How are we carrying out the activities of the day? They go on and say a church carries out baptism and communion. So this is the first definition we've looked at that includes the ordinances. Um, so they would say a church follows Jesus' example and carries out baptism and communion regularly. Interesting, I had a conversation with someone, a couple of people recently would ask, how often should you do this? And, you know, there's just not a a mandate in any way that I can see. Uh, there's a lot of variety. And probably, that, to me, that would mean that there's there's freedom for a church to carry out Communion was the question, not baptism. You know, how often should you baptize people? People, as long as they, they are a professing believers, they should be baptized. So as often as people get saved, baptism should occur. But for communion, how often should you um, practice communion? How often should you do communion as a church? There are no mandates to that. There's some indications that the church did it weekly. Um, it does come from the, the Passover meal. Some churches could legitimately say we're, we're going to do it on um, Easter, something like that, once a year, or whatever frequency that they determine. I don't know that there's a, a mandate there to do it in any given frequency. Feel free to disagree, but I, I don't see that. Um, what's important is that we do do that together and that we understand what it is. It's declaring the broken body and shed blood of Christ until He returns. And uh, from that aspect, it's important. The frequency... Um, I'm one of those who say, well, if you do it every week, sometimes you can, it become a ritual, it can become a tradition, and a tradition that loses its meaning. Not that it has to, but we have to be very careful and keep the focus in the right place if we're going to do it that frequency. They go on to say a church defines and trains God-given human leaders. So Jesus is the head of his church, and they go on to say the New Testament church shows us that it was uh, led by biblically qualified servants who humbly equipped the saints for the work of ministry. The Bible calls these uh, pastors or elders and deacons. So a church has a way to approve leaders per the Bible's standards. Developing leaders leads to a stronger local churches, and in many cases, sending leaders and multiplying churches. So they gave a lot of stuff here, and these are more characteristics of the church. So what among these would we say are essential? That's an interesting question. And, and how many of these would you fit under or could you fit under that idea of worship, community, and mission? Because many people would say, if you're gathering regularly for discipleship, that fits both under community and mission, and maybe even worship. <laughs> Church declares the gospel. Okay, again, that, that would fit under mission very, very easily. Church worships God. Okay, worship. There it is. Um, a church serves each other in its mission field. Again, that's that fits under mission. A church carries out baptism and communion. Well, some churches would put this under worship, but baptism really kind of fits under the mission as well, particularly when you think about uh, Matthew 28 and that command to, to baptize. So that fits under mission. Uh, a church defines and trains God-given human leaders. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what to do with that one. <laughs> the uh, this 
smaller a church is, the less of an issue this probably is because you, you're able to, um, to talk through things and have a leader who, who doesn't have to have the same um, maybe requirements that you'd expect from a, a large church with a certain amount of, um, I don't know, resources at their disposal. They might need more oversight. And I don't know, it gets more complicated, I guess, the bigger the church is. So I'm not sure about this one. But that's the only one that this group put out there that doesn't fit under that worship community and mission I would say. So that does lend some credence to this ecclesial minimum of the Tampa Underground that's worship, community, and mission. Um, all right, let's move on. I, I do, there's a lot of value in those. One more resource. I don't think we're going to get through this one today, but it's from uh, ruralministry.net. There's an article called Ecclesiology and the Rural Church. There were several things in here that I wanted to point out that I thought were worth looking at. So there's universal agreement that the church is the community of all true believers for all time. Well, I think there's probably a lot of agreement, but I'm not sure if it's universal. However, there is far less agreement regarding the practical view and definition of the church. This would be probably the, the function that we started with. For example, how we perceive and understand the word church when it is mentioned in conversations. We're talking about the local church here. So the term church becomes synonymous with a local organization. So this is the local church we're talking about. Said as a physical building and organization, the church becomes defined by its organizational structure, programs, and a shared vision that that moves the church organizationally. And there's some truth to that. As the church becomes more institutionalized, then the way we talk about and think about the church is very much colored by that institution, that physical property, the building, its uh, organization, the, pro- the programs that go on uh, inside that building, and the, the vision of the leaders kind of derive that vision. And a lot of the people who attend... A lot of people who attend a decent-sized church, they are buying into the leader's vision. It's not usually theirs, uh, and there's not always a place for them to live out their gifting if it doesn't fit into a certain style or a certain way of of doing things. So that can be an issue. Said consequently, the church became a business to be structured, and evangelism became a marketing strategy where demographic studies dictated techniques and programming. This is probably true. You know, we're going to have to stop here, but uh, we'll pick this up next time, just looking at the church, who we are, what we are, and what we're doing. Thanks for joining me. Follow along and catch any shows you might miss as we talk about the church, runwithhorses.net. Ask questions or leave your thoughts on the Run With Horses Facebook page. But most of all, my goal is that you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep following Jesus. You know, I know there will be struggles, but it will be worth it all in the end. So whatever you do, don't stop. Keep running. Have a great day.